Hello and welcome to the Activist Podcast, brought to you by Vegan FTA, Vegan for the Animals. I'm your host, Gareth Skur, and I'll also be joined by my wonderful co-host and wife, Jackie Norman. In this episode, we have the inspiring Justin Barker. In this interview, we learn about Justin's success and strategy in taking on the zoo industry, and also talk about his powerful story brought to life in his new book, Bear Boy. We hope you learn as much as we did from this episode and be sure to check out our social media pages at VeganFTA on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube where you can find the series in video format. Thank you so much for joining us today, Justin. We can't wait to delve into your incredible story and learn more from the Bear Boy. Uh, in these interviews, we usually like to start out by asking uh, about the moment that people went vegan. But we'd like to deviate from that slightly today and go back even further than that. Um, could you tell us about the defining moment you came across an old book in a secondhand store as a child and the effect that book had on you? Well, you know, life was pretty tough, you know, relatively tough. I was a like middle class white kid growing up in California. So relatively tough. But, you know, as a young person, I was really bullied. Like I was fat and, uh, you know, I was just different. And so things were pretty tough uh, living in the suburbs. And I was ready to just kind of tuck away and watch TV for the summer. And my dad, you know, we we're at a used bookstore and I actually found this book um, that Ingrid Newkirk wrote about 101 things kids could do to save the animals. And this is like cliche, but that book literally changed my life. Like, obviously, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today if I hadn't read that book. I, I it just changed my life. And it, I, I opened the book and I started learning about the plight of animals. Um, and not only that, the book really helped me become an activist. So it wasn't just like there's all these terrible things happening in the world to animals. Here is like something that you could do as a young person um, to take action. And it only took me getting to the chapter about um, how animals were treated, that, that, that meat was actually animals, uh, for me to immediately like change my habits uh, around. So yeah, I went vegetarian at the time and then, then vegan eventually. Um, and I instantly became an activist. And I've ever since that moment of discovering that book, I've, I've been into animal rights. And then over the years have expanded that to like social justice and, and all sorts of things. But that single book from Ingrid Newkirk changed my life and I think has impacted a ton of animals lives because of the activism that I've that I've uh, that it's inspired in me oh that's so awesome I loved reading it you know having having been lucky enough to to read your book and you know um you've got a way of writing that just instantly transports you there and I, I loved reading about you know you didn't even want to go to that bookstore the bookstore sucks you didn't want to go there with your parents and yet <laughs> you know there's this this life changing event happened for you and it was just brilliant you know I could just picture you just just sitting there and discovering it um and as you say you know mm. that book is, is taking on an amazing journey which you've detailed in your own book Bear Boy and part of your first experience with captive animals in zoos was um 
you know, you were talking about how you first met Penny, who was um, a black-footed cat at Sacramento Zoo six years before you you discovered that book. You know, you were a small child at the mm. time. And I remember you describing how you went to the zoo and, you know, everybody else was like banging on the cages or whatever or, um, you know, all excited and, and you were crying even back then for her. So six years later, it must have been hugely distressing when you returned as a teenager and find that nothing had changed for her at all. In fact, you know, it was worse. Um, Could you share a little with our viewers about that experience? Yeah, you know, I was a pretty sensitive kid uh, and I always loved animals. Like I always... I was concerned about what was happening in the in the rainforest. Jane Goodall's story was always just so interesting to me. And, and I was a sensitive kid. So going to the zoo and, you know, the, that early experience of like having this big kind of, we, we, we were studying this animal that we adopted, you know, Penny was a black-footed cat. And we... I think all of the studying and learning about her, I had this huge vision of like what her life would be like. And then to actually go to the zoo and experience that this, this cat is not even being properly cared for, it's living in, you know, behind bars. And uh, that was like, you know, that was kind of like one of my early like, oh, but nothing happened. I was in second grade, you know, like I felt sad for for Penny, but, you know, didn't really know what to do with that, um, with that experience. And it wasn't until I discovered the book years later about, and that actually kind of like, um, I, what am I trying to say, justified or helped me validate, I felt validated by, by those feelings that, that I had. Um, and was like, oh, wow, like now not only do I feel those because I'm reading this book, I feel like I can now do something about that in a, in a way that I didn't feel like I could um, when I was in second grade. Well, um, we should mention that when you did uh, return that six years later to the Sacramento Zoo, um, it wasn't part of another school or family outing, but, you know, you set yourself the project to go back and uh, you had a self-titled uh, undercover zoo checker, which which I absolutely love. <laughs> what did your new job entail as a as a what twelve was it a year then? Yeah, twelve thirteen. Twelve thirteen, yeah, uh, yeah. So I, you know, I'd always been into the media. Like I, I talk about this in the book, but I, um, I befriended a, a journalist, and I was like, I was so I was pretty into like journalism and the media, and so the going to the zoo was like, I felt like I was an undercover like TV reporter or just a reporter, you know, it wasn't, there was no cameras there, but I really like had this like desire to like uncover some facts and like continue to go, you know, and, and the, the, the book from Ingrid kind of gave you some things to look at, like, you know, make sure the animals like, you know, it's kind of enrichment, like make sure they have something engaging in their cage or that their like fur is healthy. Um, that was kind of the extent of this zoo checker um, list. But for me, it turned into like an obsession because I went and saw like, how, I looked around this pretty bad zoo. Um, I mean, most zoos are pretty bad. And I 
just started to like go back every day. Like my dad would take me and I would just kind of spend a lot of time at the cages. And then like, and this is, I talk about this in the book. Um, I started asking um, zookeepers questions and oddly, I don't know how this happened. It was like magic in some ways. Like I met the like kind of anti, you know, two zookeepers that were anti uh, the the zoo director like they you know because I believe from my experience with zoos there's the management side and then there, there's like zookeepers who a lot of them not all of them but a lot of zookeepers are in it to help animals and um, and like want the best for animals and there's kind of I've experienced often this kind of shift between like how zoo keepers and zoo director you know there's just two into different intentions i think and that was my first experience at the sacramento zoo these these um these zoo keepers were like oh there's a lot going on here and we they it took a little time to build some trust and they kind of just spilled the beans and by spilling the beans and sharing all the problems were, that were at the Sacramento Zoo, they that helped me. You know, I, I, I was able to develop this pretty long list of issues um, that eventually I was able to get to a local animal rights organization, and they helped me get into the get it into the media. Um, so it was pretty cool for me as a young person to be able to like engage with and push and actually like see that like that like just a little bit of investigating and um and networking goes a really long ways in actually creating change and that kind of like launched me into my work to see like oh wow this work showing up every day like pays off was it so inspiring i love that but um i actually see it quite a bit in throughout vegan groups as people say how they've gone to become a veterinarian and then going through the training, then they realize that there is this mm. a twist, like a different shift in people who go there because they love animals and then they see what's then happening to them, not necessarily just in vets, but other animals. And as I say, like a lot of zookeepers, um, a lot of anyone who wants to go and work, even some farmers, they go into because they love animals and then they either get entrenched with the um what would you call it the conditioning the conditioning of of those industries and then continue on with that or there's those who usually split away if they understand that they're not conditioned they understand still the love between the animals often they get out but then there is that fine line of people who stick in it to stay with the animals and try and do the best for them whilst trying to you know eventually uh overturn the tables it's so fantastic that you were there and able to help that happen it's awesome. And I love, like you say, you know, your childhood wasn't the easiest growing up, but I love how despite everything, you know, your parents were really supportive with you doing that at the start. You know, I, your parents were pretty cool. I have to say in a lot of ways. And uh, as a child with a different worldview to the majority, you know, you, you took it upon yourself to do everything possible for the animals. And, and like you said, you know, your, your parents were taking you to the zoo every day and going against the grain as an adult is, is hard enough, but as a child, I can't, begin to imagine the struggle you know I just love the way that you spoke up from the start and we're fortunate as a movement to have many young activists who are becoming strong voices for the animals but there are also many to feel who are made to feel sort of alone and and outcast from their their normal sort of peers do you have any advice for any of our younger viewers about pushing forward with what you feel is right even if that means pushing away what's you know conventional 
I mean, I think that's the only thing to do, honestly, and is to like push away the con conventional at this point, because like so much of like what is the norms in our society just isn't working for anyone. And I think that like we're experiencing that across the board. So I have always, I, and that's why I wrote Bear Boy was because I hope there's so many young people I feel like pretty good about our future based on like how engaged um, young people are and how just like with it, even just within the animal rights group uh, community, like seeing how young animal activists are talking about animal rights. And, and there's like this like intersectionality, intersectionality to it. And they're just like pushy, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm digressing here. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, I would just say that it's really important. Like youth is an awesome time to, to um, create change in the world and to like, you know, I love the idea of like, you don't eat like your parents, you know, like don't do the same things your parents do. Like, you know, find out what works for you and what is more ethical and what is better for the world and yourself and you know, all sorts of, you know, all sorts of things. So, you know, it's funny because I have, we think we all have a lot to learn from young people. And I even like, I'll just say that as like, I'm almost 40 years old and I feel like I'm still learning about, I'm still getting inspired by my younger self and by younger people. Um, it's trippy to look back and see like how um, like unfiltered I was and why so many, how, how like unfiltered so many young people are like, we're, they're just not weighed down by the expectations. And um, so like, just speak up and like, resist like the norms and like life will be so much better it's not it, it, it's kind of harder it, it and, and it takes a little bit to like find your groove but for me like that's the only reason why I'm okay today was that like I found something that I was passionate about and that uh and that passion allowed me to do so many things in my life that I would have never had opportunities to do um and none of this would be happening if it, if I was just like, I kind of just like stuck to the norm and didn't do what I felt was really right inside. And um, that's what I love about youth is how amazing and like thoughtful and creative and like ambitious young people are. Um, I, they, I mean, they, they inspire me every day. It's fantastic yeah. it's so true I mean we really you know when I was growing up when I was 13 I went vegetarian when I was 13 but I didn't kind of think beyond that I didn't see that I, I wanted everybody else to change but I didn't feel that I had the power to do that you know when I when I read what you were doing at 13 you know you had a Rolodex with a you know network of 100 adults that all listened to you you know I had a job washing dishes hated vivisection <laughs> but just thought right well I'm going to stop eating meat and that's you know that's my my taking a stand but there's so much more than that and and you know these days we, we are learning so much more from younger people you know adults don't know it all we, mm. we've done quite a, a bad job of a lot of things <laughs> yeah. 
there's so many great activists um like there's activist um genesis genesis butler um vegan heaven mm-hmm. yeah. so many of these uh young guns like just getting out there and absolutely yeah giving them hell which is fantastic we, we hope to feature more of them on the show as time goes on it's just uh trying to get hold of them between the so activism busy, yeah. and schoolwork and then yeah uh <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to get hold of them oh, but um Persistent pay, uh, persistence pays off is a sentiment that you give in your book in regards to dealing with adults and officials uh, when trying to bring about change with the zoos. Over the course of this series, we've talked with multiple uh, advocates about how frequency of activism can often be the best way to highlight a cause. You know, you need your high-reaching and impactful events, those single actions, but you know, as a teenager, you were both cheeky and inspiring in your pursuits and. Would you advise um, activists today to be as tenacious as you were? I mean, it's tenacity is the only thing that actually, like, you know, gets to the finish line. Like, I, you know, I guess it's like the one thing that I learned as an activist then and now is that, like, the destination, like, the goal, the end goal, like, I mean, this is me being like very optimistic, but I really believe that the goals that we all set as activists are, will be achieved. But it's the thing that we're not in control of is like the timeline. Like that, it's the like, and, and, and like in that, in that spirit, like not ever giving up and just continuing to push forward um, and like celebrating the small wins, like, that is like how you achieve the ultimate goal. And like, I love the idea that like the, what is it? The arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. Like I really believe that it may take a long time to achieve like really big systematics change that we all hope for. And we all are, you know, are, are focused on, um, but it's just like trotting along and like, and just like, and, and just moving forward and, and taking steps and like looking around and being like, dang, this is like, we're in such a different era in 2020 than we were 10 years ago around veganism. Like it's, it blows my mind. Uh, And so tenacity and like, just this, just, a focus on like the outcome is like what we all have to do as activists. I love that. And, you know, we've, uh, I've, I just loved reading your whole journey. And as Gareth said, you know, it was, it was brilliant how from the start, you went, you went to Sacramento Zoo and there were adults that were willing to talk to you. You know, I was, it mm. got me thinking, you know, what, what would happen if I went to my zoo? You know, would people let me in? Would people be willing to talk? You just never know. And, and it's led to this wonderful chain of, of events and, and, you know, you're finding your tribe and these, these wonderful people that were able to sort of guide you and, and get you from A to B and, and well beyond. And um, one of the things that you wrote about was, you know, discovery of the Freedom of Information Act, um, which was pivotal in some of your mm. early activism. This act allows anyone to request information from the government. And in doing so, the relevant federal agency is then required to respond within 20 business days, unless there are unusual circumstances. So this seems like a huge asset to the animal rights movement. Would this still be relevant to today's activists? I think that, like, 
in access to information, uh, you know, there's all over the world, there's both like local state and federal laws that um, kind of mandate um, bodies to release information. And from my experience, it's like a good stepping stone. Um, it's not, you know, I think that, I'll have an example, like I've spent the last two years trying to get documents from the San Francisco Zoo. The, I, I'm here in San Francisco and the San Francisco Zoo is um, one of the worst zoos, I'm just gonna say it, on earth, in my opinion. It's a, like, it is, it's a terrible zoo, it's terribly run. And the both local and state laws require that they release um, information. And I have a very long list. I would, I wish I had it in front of me because I have a very long list of requests um, that they are required to hand over um, that would essentially, if they actually did and followed the law, it would be very eye-opening about the state of the zoo. Because if you, you ask the right question, you know, at the time when I was younger, I used um, the, uh, the USDA um, was, they go in and, and inspect zoos, they inspect all sorts of uh, facilities that, that um, exploit animals. And um, it, it's just like those, because the laws and the requirements um, through the USDA is such a low threshold um, that you're actually never going to fully understand the state of things um, because the, the laws just don't do enough to protect animals. So you get a, get a, a little glimpse into the state of things. Um, but I think that it's a good start like at some point I'm, I'm now two years into my battle to get the documents requested from the san francisco zoo and i've asked questions like you know i i want to i want the list of all of the um all of the medications that have been uh, purchased to the san francisco zoo i want to know every single animal that is on antipsychotics like i could like create a list start like compiling a list of things to like if you ask the right questions and ask and get the the um, you know if if you're approaching those requests right, that um, I think there's a lot to be gained and to understand. So this battle has now at the San Francisco Zoo, they should have passed over this, these documents two years ago, but now it's getting pushed through my local our local government, and we may have to sue to to get those documents released. But once that happens that is like that trove of information is going to be huge uh, because it's going to really give us an understanding of what the state of that zoo, the state of animals, we already know. We already know how bad it is um, through just the news reports and, and what's happening there, um, but this will give it even bigger picture. So it is a very long <laughs> um, answer to, I think that, um, records request is an awesome um, opportunity and, and one approach to um, to understand what's happening within facilities and what's happening behind closed doors. Uh, and um, But it's just one sliver, one aspect. Um, and the one thing I'll say is, so this effort to get the San Francisco Zoo documents, 
I will now be able to say that a, a pseudo judicial body of, of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors um, has found the San Francisco Zoo in violation of city state and in violation of their um, of their lease agreement with the city. And to me, that's news right there. You know, like that's the like that is uh, the one of those small wins that I will. Um, be moving forward to, 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 you know, send out to the media um, as a thing that like our zoo is in violation of city state and in violation of, um, of a, um, of its contract. And that to me is like a, a good news story. Um, so it's kind of like the steps, like it's like one step and there's so many more steps to go before we actually like achieve um, the goals that, that that I hope for at, at the San Francisco Zoo, but um, but it's a I think that records requests are great. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Like um, for me, I, I always tend to process information quite so sort of visually, and so in my head, it like when we're talking about some of these activist um, and advocacy oppositions, you know, it's almost like a sheer wall that we you know we're trying to scale and. Um, with you saying that, you know, it makes me think, you know, like this is what will let us see the cracks in the wall. This is what will get us a handhold in the wall. This is that slowly chipping away. It's the the mm -hmm. earth slowly shaking, the wall coming apart. You know, this is fantastic. And yeah, I think um, it's something, yeah, we should all be utilizing. I know right here, our the vivisection uh, down in the South Island, they recently opened a new lab and it'd be great mm -hmm. to try and request more information on that. And I, I believe for the, um, New Zealand AVS Society, I believe that's probably what a lot of what they do yeah. is trying to get that information. And yeah, so if there's anybody out there who likes to write letters, then um, you can possibly be a, a forefront for this kind of um, this kind of digging. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's wonderful. I love that. And um, it goes into as well, uh, you, your first animal rights organization, which you started in high school, uh, and it was called Claws. Uh, citizens lobbying against zoos. How cool is that? I wish I had done something <laughs> remotely useful as a kid. Um, but so people began writing into you and requesting help uh, with animals in various situations. And this is how you met Brutus and Ursula, uh, two bears mm. who would go on to shape your life as an activist and cement mm. the methods that you use. The use of the media, which you've already touched on to now, um, is a, it's a topic that we delved into quite a lot through the course of this series. But we'd love to know what you have found effective when communicating with the media and why it's so important that we utilize them. I mean, the media to me is like, I mean, I'll just say, like, I think we're in, the media is in a really awkward, weird spot right now. You know, there used to be, I don't know if it's like this in New Zealand, um, but in, in the US, we're just seeing serious consolidation of the media, like where there used to be a local newspaper everywhere, we're just seeing them disappear and gobble up. So um, I think the media, local media in partic particular, is like an incredibly important tool that activists um, need to use because it starts like, you know, back to the like one foot in front of the other and the idea of like small victories like just small stories in local newspapers or on local blogs um 
like it chips away, like you're saying, like it, the more like people like hear these stories and empathize with them, we're both like growing our um, network of activists or allies, um, but also it holds politicians and it holds like abusers accountable that there's some sort of, you know, the laws are often not strong enough to actually like protect animals or hold people accountable for, for, for the neglect and the abuse and the exploitation. Um, so, and the media often um, is that an opportunity to do that. And so I'll just say that um, as an animal activist, I actively even though there's, you know, the New York Times is a corporate paper, like I am actively supporting journalism because I think that that's first and foremost, I'm financially supporting local newspapers, like every, like local and independent newspapers. So that's one thing I think that we need to be doing is um, supporting journalism and, and making sure that like we don't see local journalism eliminated. And I, how I've always approached it is, um, I mean, I was a little more rambunctious as a young person. I would just like call the, you know, with on my landline, I'd just call a reporter constantly, endlessly, and like harass them until they did a story. Like, it's not exactly how to approach it, but we're in this world right now. I'm actually like actively marketing bear boy like i'm at, you know i'm tr i want to get this book into the, as many hands as possible and media is how i'm going to do that i think um and so i my approach is to like think about how, what a journalist needs are and like you know the the level how much how many stories that they need to churn um and like how busy they are um I don't know, I often, instead of just like pitching a, 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 um, a press release, I'm like, hey, like how, what kind of stories are you looking for these days? Or like, what's interesting? Like, what is your audience, what is your audience like? So it's like, I have my goals, but I'm often trying to um, understand like what their goals are. Um, and we're in this era where, you know, at the time with Bear Boy in the 90s, like, this, for example, the Sacramento Bee had a massive newsroom, and um, and I could call the Metro desk and talk to somebody and pitch like stories all the time. And it's, it's a different world now. Like the Sacramento Bee's newsroom has shrunk dramatically, and everyone's stretched thin. Um, so, like, I'll just be transparent about what I'm doing with Bear Boy. I have like hired a photographer to take pictures. That, that the newspapers can use. Like, I think that like the more activists can actually make the lives of journalists easier. So like making sure that you're pitching ideas and stories that feel like are interesting um, to those journalists and then doing all the work you could possibly do to make their life easier is like how to get in, in, like to get stories told and placed and and then also just like i mean PETA is is famous for this like just the more compelling and interesting and and like flashy like that 
I mean, that works for some things. I don't think that's necessarily how, how every story needs to be pitched, but, you know, just to understand the state of our journalism, I think, and, and, the, and, and the, the challenges that journalists face, um, I think will go a long ways in getting, in, in getting the stories placed. Stop the podcast. We would like to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our partners, BFC. BFC makes some great tasting food that doesn't cost a wing and a leg. They take fresh, wholesome plants, work some magic, then deep fry them to create vegan fried chicken. All the taste without the suffering. No chickens are harmed in the making of VFC ever. Head on over to vfc.co.uk to get yours today. Now back to the podcast. Some that's brilliant advice there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Someone who works in the media, I totally agree. Yeah, the yeah. easier you can make it for them, that is, yeah. And I'll recap on to when we spoke to Captain Paul Watson, um, and he spoke on this topic as well, and he said about the the four points for a super story, which is uh, celebrity, controversy, violence, and sex. If you have one of those elements, they're more likely to pick it up. And if you have all four of them, well, then you've got a front page thing. And once again, it doesn't necessarily work with everything that we're doing, but say you've got... You've had a protest or demonstration that's caused controversy in the local community. That's something they might pick up on. Someone's been violent to one of their members. That's another element of it. You know, mm. there's so many different ways. And yeah, having that, trying to look at it from the journalist's point of view and taking it from their shoes, you know, um, yeah, such a great way to look at it and to work your way into it. Because, yeah, we've got to use these systems that are already there in order to propel our own uh, movement, really. Yeah, it's brilliant advice. I think, you know, we, we meet so many people who've got so much to offer and they don't think that their story is big enough or important enough, you know, and like you say, it's those small stories that matter. They really do. It is. And I think one thing I'll say is that it's like about anything, it's relationship building. So it's not just about, you know, like you don't want to just be a source for one story one time. You like want to build a relationship with like the storytellers in your community, whether they're journalists or you know writers, um, because then you become like, oh wow, like that one thing we did with so and so, like they're now my like source, and we we're building a relationship. Um, and so, like one thing with the San Francisco Zoo, I, there's a few journalists in Sa in San Francisco that I've like kept updated throughout the process, and I know that it's like nothing up until this point has been like newsworthy enough, but they know that like I'm have been at this for two years, and then at some point, whatever I I'll message them, text them, you know, email them, and at some point, that long relationship that I've kind of been building will pay off as a story so it's like kind of like the long I think that like the relationships that we can build um, are much more important than like sing single story placement yeah that's um, again so true with that and um, often it comes up uh, especially like here in New Zealand we have you know it's not what you know it's who you know mm. is often a huge factor in whatever you do and i'm sure it, it proves to be true everywhere you go and once again your your um so many of your tactics and stuff like that are long-haul ones but they're so effective when they do come into play and that's the thing we need people doing these things and yeah it may not be changed instantly yeah. but when it hits it hits hard and that's what i like to see 
So a huge part of Claw's work was to fundraise for animals it was trying to save. And in the case of Brutus and Ursula, the two bears that you were, were trying to free, a massive $250,000 was needed to be raised in order to give them a new home and, you know, a new a new lease on life. The trials of seeking the funds in your book, Bear Boy, will keep readers on their toes, but um, don't want to ruin the story for everyone else. So there's a final point that, you know, would be great to delve into, which is the kindness of strangers. And if it wasn't for the kindness of strangers, you know, vegan FTA, we wouldn't be what it is today. Um, and neither mm. would any sort of charity or, or nonprofit organization. When faced with the task of fundraising, an individual's kindness can make a huge amount of difference. But, you know, we can't rely on them coming out of the blue to just support us no matter how much we would like that to happen. Do you have any tips to share with our activists to help them fundraise? What was effective for you? You know, I really like this idea. Like, so Brutus and Ursula's story. Um, was very specific about their the state of um, their state, how terrible their conditions were, um, was the compelling story. But for me, I always what was more important to me was that I was actually talking about like the state of all captive animals, and so I really think that. And I was actually talking to uh, uh, Matt from sentient media and there's this idea of zoom in and zoom out and i really like the simplicity of that and so i think that the more that these big ideas that we're trying to achieve as activists um, the more that you we can hone in on specific stories um, makes a, the move, it makes it so much more accessible to understand this individual animal's plight or, or you know, for in Brutus and Ursula's state, the, the two bears, their, their um, plight. Um, people really are able to like grab onto that more than like the idea that captivity is bad. So I think that like for fundraising, um, it was really, I'm sure there was plenty of people that sent me money that like may not exactly like agree about how, how I feel about like that we should probably close down zoos, you know? Um, but they were able to like empathize with like how bad Brutus and Ursula's conditions were and it inspired them to send money. And so I think that that's one advice I have is that like, how do you bring, um, how do you simplify stories and make sure that you're telling individuals, animals stories um, as part of a larger idea? Uh, and also, you know, I've studied this a little bit and I think they found that like, while um, like the stories, the really sad stories about animals um, like resonate with people, they don't necessarily create um, they, they, there's kind of this like instant reaction and people donate. Um, but I think that like inspiration is what like creates longer term like financial commitments um, in, in movements. Um, and so there's a place for like, obviously like the work that as animal activists, there's sad stories that have to be told and that will pull on people's heartstrings. Um, but, but that can't be the only mechanism for inspiring donations there has to be like these larger inspirational um narratives that that like keep people 
donating. So those are the kind of the two ideas that, that I feel like have been like that I've kind of recognized in my time. It's absolutely fantastic to know. And um, yeah, it's great to understand more about that. And yeah, it um, yeah, makes me think about that whole thing of trying to make sure you're targeting your audience correctly. Um, because as you say, mm. it's sort of tilting that focus. If you're appealing to a different group, uh, the more general public, you know, yeah, maybe the the harder hitting stuff might not work as well. Maybe they want a bit more soft fluffies, you know, that mm. might bring them on board. It makes me think even just in the last couple of days, um, doing a Facebook post and having people like it and you, you if doing an activist post, you may get your family and friends who know nothing about your cause, know no reason, like <laughs> they have no understanding of what's going on, but then they still like and engage because they've liked the photo or something like that. There's mm -hmm. those other elements of the story there that, you know, has brought them in. And so, yeah, having that, that target on your audience is, is fantastic. But despite being active for so many years and such an incredible advocate for the animals, uh, the completion of Bear Boy marks your professional life finally meeting uh, with your true passion mm -hmm. uh, for advocacy. Um, what was it that started off your 10-year journey to writing this book? So, you know, it's interesting. I was doing this, I was living in San Francisco and I was doing this 40-day retreat um, and or yoga retreat. And so it was, I was still at home, but we were going in and we were doing a daily meditation and, and yoga practice. And uh, the very last day of this yoga retreat, they're like, we're going to do the death meditation. And I, I was like, okay, that sounds kind of weird. But I, we sat down and each of us got handed a box of tissues. I was like, okay, this is interesting. And, um, and so there was somebody in that room and they start beating this drum to like the heartbeat. Um, and the teacher is like, you have 12 hours to live. And like just telling the story right now, like all the hairs are going up on my on, on my body. Um, and it's like, what'd you regret? You know, what who'd you wish you would have seen again? Like, what do you wish you would have done? And I just I was like literally overwhelmed with this sense that I never helped another zoo animal. Because up until that point, I'd been so focused on like the the um the bears inspired me to go into the media. And so I'd been in like working in the media as a producer and kind of like in that field, not necessarily completely focused, I'm not focused on animal rights professionally. And the idea that I never helped another zoo animal, like that I was at the end of my life and that I never helped another zoo animal, like was so overwhelming to me. And like, I'm sobbing and I'm like writing down like this, this idea and, um, and like, within days of that, I was like, I have to tell this story. Like, I have to tell the story of the, the bears uh, because I want to, like, I never told it. Everyone else told the story but myself. Um, and I never thought that was going to take 10 years to write, <laughs> but it did. Um, and now it's crazy to think, like, I started when I was 29, um, and I'm now 39. I'm almost 40 years old, and... Um, I'm telling this story that happened to me when I was like 13 to 17. Um, but yeah, it feels like really good. To, it feels like good. I've And I've continued my work that it wasn't just the book I was writing. I continued my work to, to advocate for the animals at San Francisco Zoo. But yeah, it's a trip to like be able to like spend much of my career 
um, storytelling and to be able to like, have this book be the intersection of that, of like my life as a storyteller and my life as an animal activist. Uh, and that it's like a few days away from being in the world for anyone to have access to is, um, it's very, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed and excited by it all. Like it's, uh, it's, it's a trip. <laughs> it's a trip. Oh, it's it's brilliant. Like I say, you know, I I feel everyone should read this book. It is honestly the most inspiring mm. and uplifting book I have ever mm. ever read. It's I just <laughs> love you. it. It's what you did, you know, as 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 a teenager is absolutely amazing. It really is. I mean, the the magnitude of, of what you achieved, you know, the 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 sanctuary that that ended up taking Brutus and Ursula, you know, they had had to raise. $250,000 before for, you know, um, for another species of animal. And that took five years. So, you know, when you were faced with this goal, I was thinking, oh, that, you know, too big, too big. How, you know, like I said, we, we can't, we can't give away how it all came together, but you know, the magnitude of what you've done is just absolutely incredible. And, you know, I think, yeah, when I look back to what I was like at 13, I, I wish I'd been different now, you know? <laughs> And it's great. I really feel that, you know, your, your book, your story and, and your inspiration and, and everything that you've learned can really help to, to motivate and, and teach a new generation, you know, how to find their voice and, and not to be silenced by us silly adults that don't know any better, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're, we're so happy to see, like you say, you've rekindled your work to, to help the animals in zoos. And for people across the world, I think there's no better time than now really to connect with captive animals than you know being mm. put in the captive state uh, ourselves through lockdowns the way we have albeit in um, much better conditions have you found returning to help <laughs> captive animals um a sense of the general public being more in favor of your cause now that's a good question i think that i don't you know I'm so curious because I have vegan friends who are raising vegan kids who still take their kids to the zoo. Um, and that that's real mystery to me um, because I think, I mean, what I've, what I've learned is that the, the zoo industry is so ingrained in our lives that like it has been like, that it's so normalized um, and that like the publishing industry, like, you know, from very, like has created kids books that like, that celebrate the zoo, that like every time you turn on the TV, even a zoo animal that's born on the other side of the earth makes the news and that there's no critical thinking around like, what are we doing? Like, and somehow this like, the zoo industry has like basically um, gone unchecked in in their like claim to be like participating in um, in conservation. The idea that like by going to the zoo we're creating little conservationists like I just don't buy it. Um, and we still like while we've seen the circus close like the Ringling Circus close here in the states. And like, while there's pushback against like 
SeaWorld, I certainly think there's more questions being raised about like the zoo industry and the role it plays in our lives. Um, but I think that there's a long ways to go um, before we're actually seeing um, the industry transition the way we're seeing so many other industries transition. Like, and, and, um, and I really like, that's why I, partly why I wrote this book was because I want to be part of the dialogue where we're like second, we're asking really hard questions about like, why do we have zoos? Why do we think it's okay to like take our kids to stare at animals in cages? Um, and then I also just would say that we're also in a state where like we're like rapidly losing animals like and and habitat. So then like there has to be a dialogue around like what are we doing to like protect animals because like just keeping captive populations is not conservation. Um, so that's my um, long answer <laughs> to that. I think that we're, we're heading in the right direction, but there's still so many things that need addressing around um, like how normal it is that like every major city on the planet has a zoo. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I've been, I've been to zoos on both sides of the world. I've been as a child, I've been as an adult, I've taken my own children along. And I still, I don't think, no matter how wonderful the experience is supposed to be, I don't think that there's ever been a time at any of those ages and stages that I thought those animals are happy or they've got enough room or they've got enough stimulation, everything we need. You know, I even remember, I think I was seeing, might have seen bears, polar bears, I think in the UK when I was little. And they were in this big, kind of like a pit. Um, you know, we had to look down to, to see them. And I remember mm. sort of thinking, even then I would have only been about nine years old. And no. and I remember sort of thinking, well, how can they, that's not what polar bears are supposed to do. That's not how they're supposed to live. So, and yet, like you say, we're fed this whole conservation kind mm. of. Um, it seems to be the uh, the blanket that's, that's covering it is that conservation sort of thing. And the thing is, if they truly are there to conserve them, it still doesn't mean they have to be an entertainment place for humans with the, technology that we have with cameras if you want people to see these in an actual conservation you say breeding the final pair of them you know if you want people to see the animals the cameras can get a better image and you can see with the eyes now uh, mm -hmm. when you go to them most of these places because you're viewing them from a distance you're viewing them through cages it's absolutely horrible it makes me think though we need uh, old Ali and Lucy Tabritzi to get on here and do Zoo Spiracy next, you know. Because uh, I kind of feel like it's almost like the plastic straw thing, um, you know, like they revealed with Zoo Spiracy, you know, like, oh, yes, we're, we're doing our part here, you know, with conservation and stuff. And then really there, there's a much Sweet bigger depth fish, to it. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm ready to produce that documentary. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, man, up right now. <laughs> that sounds um, fabulous. <laughs> yeah, because that, that be will be like a sh shocking documentary. Like the state of the zoo and the reality check that people will have to face around like zoos, like that. I want the blackfish of the zoo industry. Like that. That documentary must be made. Well, I cannot think of anybody more perfect to create that documentary. So, yes, please add that to your to-do list as well as, you know, <laughs> everything else you're doing. <laughs> I would love to know, though, I, I was saying to Gareth this morning, you know, I'd love to know how things, because it, I 
I just loved reading about you at that time in your life. Like you were so tenacious and just didn't give up. You know, there was a time when you, um, you know, you, you went away for six months um, when, when you were traveling with your parents and, um, you know, you had to, to let somebody else take up the banner for the bears and, and help fundraise. And it was a real case of disappointment when you come back, you know, that you realize if you want something done, you know, you've got to do it yourself. Um, and you, you've never stopped. Mm. You know, you were just always so so brave, you know, and putting yourself out there. And I'd love to know now, you know, how things have changed in your approach, you know, from being a child and now being an adult, you know, you're fighting for the same cause, but how is it, how's your approach changed? I mean, honestly, I don't think very much. I think, and I'll say that I'm one of the stories, interesting, one of the stories in the book is about a bank that helped me out. Um, and um, this is like maybe like sharing too much, but I um, reached out to the bank because it's a real bank. And, the, you know, I think in general, banks can be questionable, but this bank in particular is um, really working towards, I think that it feels like they're trying to step it up. Long story short, um, I reached out to their head of brand and I, and I was like, hey, would you be interested in like helping get this book into the world? And he's like, what, what, what would you like? Um, and I sent the most obscenely long request list that like, if they say yes to all those things, I'd be like, wow but like I was thinking about it and I was like wow like I feel like not much has changed like you just I have to be you have to be ambitious you have to like reach for them like stars in the moon um because maybe like the middle ground is like what you get but like if you don't like reach for the big things then like you never actually like get the middle find the middle ground um so I guess I would just say that I still make myself laugh, honestly, because um, I'm often inspired by like Bear Boy and I'm not Bear Boy. I am like an older, I'm Justin and um, that younger version of me is not me, you know? And, but it is, it's weird. It's a weird thing, um, but it makes me laugh sometimes. And I'm like, there's essence. The young Bear Boy is still here. Um, and like, I still, make ridiculous requests to people and like bug the media in a way that I did before and um so yeah I guess like that I forget what your question was <laughs> oh just just how the approach is rambling on here no not at all <laughs> I guess what it comes down to is that you know you you know from the younger Justin that it gets results so you know it's if, if it ain't broken <laughs> Yeah, I think that just like really like being ambitious in like your vision and like and what you ask of people because the worst thing that's going to happen is no. And like I like as I'm doing like outreach for this book, like I really believe like every no leads to the next leads to the yes. Um so I think that like get fueled by the no's because like the more no's or the no the more like failures or whatever it is like the more of those that we can like um grab onto and let go of like you're just leading to that like yes or to that success um so i think that's like the biggest thing for me was just like i got like bear boy gobbled up nose and like 
that's what I was able to do. I was like, I'm going to prove these young, I'm going to prove these adults that like they're wrong. Like these bears are going to be moved. And like, I, as a young person can do that. Um, And so we all need that. We all need to like believe in ourselves and know that like, uh, the challenge we're going to face challenges because we're trying to create change in the world. Um, and the more that we can like, um, keep stepping in the direction, no matter like if it feels like we're walking through molasses, um, the more that we just keep moving in towards that more ethical, um, future that we all know is possible. Uh, then, you know, I think that, that, um, we'll get there. Yeah, I love that. And, um, I love the, sort of saying you you brought up there just before about you know the whole thing of you reaching for the stars and i actually remember my mum telling me that as a kid you know the whole thing of yeah if you reach for the stars if you fall you hopefully won't fall too far from that goal you know and yeah it's a brilliant way to go through life that and um yeah is there um we're wondering is there any current campaigns that you have going that you would like to share with our audience Well, you know, I'm working on the San Francisco Zoo right now. Um, I would say, like, I don't have any, like, ma- like the, the Bear Boy is my campaign right now. Like, bringing this book into the world and making sure that it gets into as many young people's hands as possible is, like, I really b- believe this book is, like, is my activism right now. And it took a long time to get to that point. Um, so I would say that, like, making sure that, like, the next Justin or the next kid who's, like, struggling is able to get their hands on this book is, like, my current campaign. Um, but I'm hoping that by, like, this book's out in the world in June and by, um, and that, like, my big campaign is to dramatically change the San Francisco Zoo. And I hope by dramatically shifting and 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 um, shining a light on the problem at the San Francisco Zoo um, really helped shine a light on the larger zoo industry. Um, and so that's my campaign. My local zoo, creating change at my local zoo is like what I'm focused on. And I would love if anyone is passionate about um, creating change at their local zoo to like reach out to me. Um, because I would love to help, I would love to build a network of of folks who are like holding their local zoo accountable and shining a light on the problems at their local zoo, uh, because that's how we're going to ultimately create like global change in the zoo industry. So, so my focus is local, and I'd love to help other people do the same. That's awesome. That's that's very cool. I'm kind of thinking, watch out, Auckland Zoo. I've got you on my radar. <laughs> you know, I, I just want to say thank you so much to to 13 year old Justin for everything that he did, mm. and you know, thank you to to the Justin of today for everything that that you continue to do. You know, and. I mean, I've, I love the book. I, I love also, um, you know, you've mentioned the book that you and the wonderful Jane Goodall have got a, a mutual admiration of one another that has has spanned for, <laughs> for quite a few years now. She's even written the uh, the foreword to your book, which is, incidentally, we must let everyone know, where can everyone get a copy of your book? 
So you can go to uh, bearboy.org, um, which is like the place that where the you could find where the book is. Um, but essentially, it's available all over the world. Um, and I really want to support local bookstores. Um, so all you have to do is actually just like reach out to your local bookshop and say, hey, I'd like a copy of Bear Boy um, uh, by Justin Barker. Just and that's all you have to do. Like it's, it's available anywhere, like any major bookseller. Um, this may be a little ambitious to say on earth. I don't think like there's, I'm sure there's areas where you're not gonna be able to get Bear Boy, but like it kind of just like it, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, the US, um, it's available at your local bookstore by just asking for it. That's fantastic. And yeah, please folks get out there and yeah, support your local bookstores and getting asked for this. And I was also thinking um, one way as well, we can support you in your campaign to get out there more. Even if you're not in a position to buy 500 copies, um, you can still request that your library gets it in as well. And then mm. also your local schools request that they put it on the on the reading there for it. So, you know, with a couple of little letters, a couple of emails, whatever you want to send out, or even a phone call. I've um, actually done that with our local library already. Yeah, as soon as I so, finished, I was like, right. <laughs> yeah, you can support the book that way too. And um, is there anywhere else that. that we can go to check uh, check out what you're doing and follow you? Um, I'm on social media, Justin Barker TV, and uh, on Twitter, I'm not on Facebook. But um, I'm on Instagram, and uh, and there's you can always just send me an email too, um, through uh, or just send me a message on any one of those channels because I love connecting with other activists and people that have read the book. Um, I like live to connect with um, people that are um, passionate about these things, just like I am. So. Thank you for listening to this interview. We hope you have found it informative and entertaining. To learn more about Justin's work check out bearboy.org. Once again, be sure to follow us on social media platforms for future episodes. And if you're enjoying our content, please leave a review on your chosen podcast platform. This has been Vegan FTA, Vegan for the Animals.